Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome, welcome to the True Wealth Radio. Is it program? Is that are we serious or is it the show? Don't say that. Okay, like, it's true a show. wealth radio show, and it's the best Tuesday you've had all week. We're stoked to be here. Dave Little John in studio joining me today. Matt Dixon, nailed it. Wow, we've right? even got sound There's effects a bell. now. That's a real bell too. It's not like one of those sound effects on the board. It's just a bell. There are other sound effects. I do not have them working. Is that bell because the market is closed? Are you ringing the bell? I should have had to bang it a bunch of times for yeah. the market being closed, right? That does crack me up, too. If you've ever seen one do the opening bell or the closing bell, it's like you know they just hold a button down and this bell just clangs. Have you bang, ever bang, had bang, any bang, aspiration bang. to go there and ring the bell? Uh, the, sure. I mean, yeah. that would be novel, I suppose. But it's that's not really a bucket list item to me okay. to ring the bell. I feel like... I should go. It's sort of the financial advisor equivalent of like going to Mecca is to go to the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. So uh, odds are good I will be there in June. Oh, really? Yeah. I so did not know this. Planning to, to take a visit. Uh, this is one that's been on the radar for a long time and then COVID derailed it. All right. So that'll give you an idea. This is almost a three year long ago plan. So. Uh, but yeah, I think I'll, I'll check it out at some point. And the, the novelty of the bell ring is not lost on me, but it's like it, that would not somehow stir my soul if I got to be the one to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> some people, I'm sure that's the thing, right? For me, for I'm some like, reason, eh. I saw you up on the stage, like woohoo, you know, ringing that bell as fast as you can. Yeah, I'm such a, I'm not a huge consumer of financial media in the more traditional senses. I mostly listen rather than watch stuff that you, i know that's probably weird but i'm kind of an auditory learner i feel like on a day like today you wouldn't really want to ring the bell like <laughs> just let it keep going let it keep like, crawling yo, up don't stop it geez yeah for for a change i mean we yeah, what happened we've uh we got I'm some looking, momentum here today i know i'm looking at uh, major indexes so oh the dow and the russell let us down is that that's Isn't what that true? that's that's what let us down, right? Because the S and P up over two percent, and wasn't the Nasdaq the Dow, at like three? Nasdaq up two point nine two. Yeah. Oh, come on, aging eyes, you can do it. And then th it was the Dow that was only up one point eight two. Now the one that's more interesting to me is the Russell two thousand. It's it's because it's because it's sort of a broader measure. Okay. Uh, I have been meaning to, threatening, in fact, to do a formal study on this to, to take this from being what I am sort of intuitively and anecdotally, I know this to be true, but I want to quantify it so that I can actually demonstrate that it is true. Okay. And that is that I suspect that the S&P 500 as an index is already in bear market territory. Okay. It's not if we look at the year to date figures on it and look at what from our peak to trough, it's it's not that bad, right? If I look, uh, I'm going to compare it really to, to, to the NASDAQ, just so I can give you um, borrowing Yahoo Finances. So we'll, we'll look year to date and it's pretty close to the peak came right at the beginning of the year on like January 4th, right? Mm -hmm. And we're off after today, 10.6%. Okay. Right. And after a 2% rise today. 
Um, NASDAQ's down 17.9% over the same time period. Oh, just for the heck of it, let's look at uh, the Dow on there too, right? And when we throw that in the mix, the Dow is down 7.7. And that's just year to date. Okay. And again, it peaked very, very close to beginning of the year. So that that's pretty close to spot on. The only one that I would want to get more granular is the NASDAQ, only because when you're at 17.9% and you were up one, you know, two, oh, almost 3% today, you're like, so were we in the official bear market? Mm-hmm. NASDAQ has intraday crossed below the bear market several times. And remember, listeners, because just I know everybody's brilliant that listens. We only have smart listeners. But that just a friendly reminder, the definition of a bear market, 20% drop, right? We're not quite there. So the NASDAQ has intraday flirted with this. And I think that the NASDAQ, we could probably say it's had its bear moment. But the S&P really hasn't. But why would I say that it has? That's you actually got me puzzled. Right. So here's the thing. It's the way the index is constructed, right? And the fact that it's very, very top heavy. So you're saying like the percentage of companies within the S&P 500? In a sense, yes. If we were to remove, say, the top 20 stocks and say, oh, well, it's the S&P 480. And then we took the composite average of those 480 stocks. It is likely that the S&P 500 is actually in bear market territory. Okay. But uh, when you add back in the mega giant stocks that haven't fallen 20%, they kind of buoy the whole thing. So to sum it up, basically what you're saying is that Apple and Microsoft and a few others are holding the whole thing up like yeah. a crutch. Yeah. I kind of am. Like that's those are the foundational pieces and everything else is you know sitting on the the top of the table created by that the base. They're the base of the pyramid and it hasn't crumbled, so it's holding everything else above it up. I can agree with that. I can yeah. I can see your point. Yeah, and so that that to me is important because the Russell two thousand today is the the thing that sort of gives us that hint, like, well, why isn't it up as much as like the big an indicator almost? Well, think of it as like the that should be the thing that makes you pause and go, I need to dig a little deeper. Okay. This is I'm we're not getting the whole story by the indexes. The indexes just don't reflect many of the small and mid-sized companies. And that's the backbone of our country, right? That's true. I mean, the job creation doesn't come from the megacorps. It comes from the small companies, right? Yeah. And and a lot of the innovation comes from small companies, and then it's acquired by the, the big companies, right? So the big companies, in some respects, are like quasi-financial institutions now, right? Apple's a giant financial company too. Yes, it's tech, but it's this huge mo- monster that also it, it, it functions in some ways like a bank, right? It's managing its product cycle, it's managing its cash. There were times where Apple was borrowing money to pay dividends because it was cheaper to borrow the money than to, to pay the, the dividend out of cash flow, right? That's so they could wild. buy stock back because they could arbitrage their borrowing costs, right? So if their growth rate is 6% and they can borrow at 3, I'm just fictionally, right? They can mm-hmm. make the spread on their own growth rate. And then if the dividend payer wants the money out, it's like, well, we're better off expensing the money in the company for growth so that we don't get taxed on it. This, by the way, this point is going to come back later in this in this show. Okay? okay. But the idea that the business, so Apple wants to expend, have capital expenditures, 
and then it borrows money and pays a dividend to shareholders. So you're saying it really acts like a financial institution. It has financial components. So yes, it well, has. It walks like a financial institution as well. And it also just released their own credit card. Correct. Yeah. I mean, so they're really kind of Because Apple's plain. not just hardware. No. Right? Apple makes hardware. They make software. They also sell media because they're, the iTunes store mm -hmm. is you know, there's a subscription model to that. And then in many cases, they're tied to the different phone providers, right? So they're involved with the financing there potentially. I don't know all the deals and how that's worked out. But mm -hmm. you know, they have this multiple channels that they are working from to generate revenue. And didn't Apple just say that they have plans to potentially build a car even? Yes. So they're really branching out into a yes. lot of different market areas. Correct, correct. And and that's also why Microsoft, you know, partnered with like Ford to develop the sync operating system mm -hmm. for their vehicles, right? Yeah. And so yes is the short answer to this that we are seeing uh, all of the the super giant mega players are starting to cross-pollinate into areas where the market's going. But Apple may not develop their own. Like, like it's just, all right, let me throw a theory out there. I'm ready. Okay. This, very, very clear here. I'm not saying that this is happening. I'm just using real-world examples. There's a newer, um, there's another alternative to Tesla out there that's an interesting electric vehicle play uh, by, by the name of Rivian. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's suppose Apple wanted to acquire Rivian and rebrand it. They could they could do that. They have enough money that they could buy Rivian. That's true. And then they could turn it into the Apple signature series, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, as I recall, Rivian's the one that's involved with Amazon and so there's some other things at play there, right? But but there's there are other potential so um What's the other one? I think it's called Fisker. Fisker. That's yeah. the one I'm thinking of. Like Apple could acquire Fisker, that and would, that would yeah. be, and that would actually be a, a potentially a, a smart acquisition for them if mm -hmm. they wanted to be in that space and they wanted to sort of leapfrog over some of the initial R and D costs. Right. Okay. And again, if they can borrow money for three percent, but they'd have to pay taxes on anywhere from fifteen or higher percent if they don't expense it. Why not acquire a company? Grow your company, expense it out of the business, and then just pay your shareholders a dividend. Just borrow the money. There you go. Right now, so it's actually cheaper a financially financing. cheaper move. Yeah, and that's a savvy move for them as a company to do. Right. So, and, and this is this is all relevant to today's show because when I say that the market will show us things that it hints that there's more going on under the surface than is initially evident. Right. And my sense is that there's a lot more going on in the economy right now than many people see. And I want us to take some time today to unpack that specifically around inflation. Right. Okay. I mean, that is on everybody's mind. If you've been to the gas pump, you have seen like, oh my gosh, things are getting crazy expensive, right? And and if you're <laughs> We have listeners that don't live locally, right? You know, maybe you're using using public transportation, other stuff like that. You'll notice it in other ways too, right? The the cost of fuel will show up all over the place. Even like look at at some point our Amazon delivery costs or time schedules, other things like that. They will start changing the business model to make it work. But before we unpack some of that, we're speaking of business, right? We got to take our our evil corporate profit break first. Not evil, right? We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to unpack inflation and we're going to talk about 
how do companies address this? How do we as consumers address it? But more importantly, what's causing it and what can we do? Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEA. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. If you are just joining us, you have got a lot to get caught up on already, right? It's yeah. a podcast. Right where? At the website. Yeah, so which is? LittleJohnFS.com. Right, and here's the thing. Just subscribe, right? Go to your favorite podcast service. You can get it on your phones or wherever. Those of you that listen to podcasts all the time, you already get it. But if you're catching up now and you're like, I don't even know how to podcast, the easy thing is you can go to our webpage and you can just get it, right? But for the rest of you, like tell a friend, most, uh, you know, I would say like ask your 12-year-old, but any more 12-year-olds ask their like 35-year-old parents, your 35 to 45-year-old. Like my kids ask me how to work the technology. I'm going, this is backwards. Oh, man. I know. When I was a kid, it was like, hey, you have to know how to program. You know, everybody says, well, ask the kid how to program the VCR. That was the joke, right? And now everybody's like, what's a VCR? Okay, well, it's I'm still tech support. I'm young, but I'm starting to feel old because I can actually remember when the computer screens were green. Like, there was no color. And then we got our first home computer, and there was a color screen. Oh, and it was a, just here's mind a fun blowing. One for you. you can remember when the computer screens were square. Yeah. Right now, everything is sort of that sixteen by nine aspect ratio, or yep. even more, you know, different than yeah. that. Uh, here's the thing: like my kids don't know a world without iPads. Oh, isn't that weird? Right, like, they've never known a world without iPads or mobile phones. They don't even get the joke. Like if you watched the movie Zoolander from probably fifteen years ago or something, the joke was how small the phones were. Mm-hmm. And we stopped doing that. Now the phones got big again. It's like, well, how big of a screen can you have and still put it in your pocket? Right. You know, so we've gone full 180 degree reversion back to uh, pretty soon it's going to be like the Zach Morris phone. Right. Oh, my God. And again, some of our listeners know what I'm talking about. You're not even sure, are you? I'm over here like Zach Morris. It was Saved by the Bell. He had oh, the big yes. like handheld yes. phone that was Terrible like the things, size of a yes. brick. So anyway. I hope that doesn't come back. <laughs> I don't don't suspect it is unless it's like a sat phone or something for the end of the world. Which Hey, don't we're, don't count it out, right? If we're honest, right? We're we're talking I I promised at the break we're gonna talk about inflation. I'm trying to stay true to this because we have more and more listeners that join on the podcast. And so And a lot of them from France. I learned that the other day. <laughs> so it's interesting what people are looking for, but in our case, so we're gonna be talking about inflation today and for our, our podcast listeners here. So like please you you don't leave the point hanging at your breaks. I get it. It's a radio show. But for listeners on the radio, you know, they come and go more often. But for podcast listeners, they're like committed here. They're going, mm-hmm. I want to get through this, finish the topic. All right. So first of all, inflation, it's not lost, right? I mean, everywhere you look around, uh, inflation is kind of running wild, right? Uh, if we were to look, I'm just going to kind of go for economic indicators here. Core CPI. Last reading that I show was 6.42%, and CPI, which was last published on March 10th, was 7.91%. And didn't they upgrade it even higher than that? Well, they're projecting even more. The previous reading, I think, for CPI had been 7, so it is tracking higher. And remember, core CPI, that was an annual rate, but the so it's 
we're seeing just call it eight percent annualized inflation right and that's now. the highest that we've seen in 40 years we in haven't 40 seen years that. yeah we haven't seen that since the 80s uh yeah yeah it's nuts so in, and in fact in some cases 70s right and mm -hmm. and many folks will recall the times of government treasuries getting up into the double digits you know high 18 almost 20 percent for treasury bonds and you have to consider what's going on so first of all i want to talk today a little bit about what causes inflation right now some of you already know the answer and realize that i'm an amateur economist right not by trade but by sort of essentially by requirement in my line of work I've had to do a lot, a lot, a lot of study around what causes inflation. Okay. It's simple in terms of what really causes it, right? Mm -hmm. It is the idea that you have more dollars in circulation competing for the same amount of goods. Sure. Okay, that's the simplest definition of it. And it's the idea that things cost more, not because they have changed in value, but because the currency that we're using has changed in value. This happens really simple. We could get way off into the weeds of you know the gold standard and the this and that, but we, our country, so the United States dollar is what's known as fiat currency. Okay, and why is that? Well, I mean, that's just the the name for it. Fiat currency is government currency, mm -hmm. unless you know a definition I don't. No, I was uh, just hoping you had something really spectacular. I could invent pocket. something, but I'd be making it up. Oh. So, fiat currency. So any government concert government sponsored or government controlled currency we call a fiat currency okay and then you can get into other things that people often will say well what about like gold because they're not a currency right gold is a commodity mm -hmm. right now why did we used to use gold as currency well it was small portable very difficult to duplicate yeah. Right. And so as a result, you could say, well, it meets a lot of criteria to store value in something tradable. Right. You know, it's rare, small, hard to copy, easy to carry, pretty functional as a, as something that we can agree as a store of value. But the truth of the matter is, like, why would gold be worth more than food? Well, it's not. Unless just, people agree that it was the unit of exchange. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's this implied social contract, and it goes back so far culturally across all cultures on the planet that we just sort of accept it. I could literally go back to the point of saying, like, this is embedded like at a biblical foundational level, mm -hmm. that it has existed as long as time has been recorded, gold and precious metals, and, and even to a certain extent, precious gemstones and what have, have been treated as rarities that had value and were used as a tradable mechanism, right? Yep. Other things have been used too. Lots of things have been used to represent money, but when the government controls it, it's fiat, okay? And the, the, the gold and so forth, those are commodities. The thing about gold is because it's really hard to copy, it was easy. It used to be that gold represented the amount of dollars we had. When we were on the yeah. gold standard, like we have this much gold in a vault, so we have this many dollars in existence. And so the dollars represented the trading power of gold. Once we delinked the gold and the dollar from each other back in, it was like 73 or 74. They I just think. ran out of gold. Well, no, they didn't, but um, Nixon delinked the standard. Okay. okay? And so uh, we're not going to revisit all that because, frankly, I don't know enough of the history. Uh, it was before my time. But I know that when it occurred, the result now is that the currency value essentially floats. And 
through the central banking resources that this country has, we call them resources, utilities, whatever you want, we now have the ability to change the amount of money in circulation because it wasn't connected to a finite supply of something. And so the Federal Reserve took on the mandate of managing inflation. And inflation is the intentional debasing of currency, right? Or the intentional increase in money supply over time with the idea that you always want a little bit of inflation because that's part of what triggers growth in the economy. Otherwise, if you don't have growth in the economy, you have some other issues at play where you can get into deflationary cycles where your money becomes worth less and less and less. That leads to sort of a, an economic implosion, if you will, right. or a, so, a go from recession to depression. It just needs to be a controlled growth. Well, that's the idea behind it. Mm -hmm. Now, we, we're not going to go in the weeds of the idea that we maybe could have done it without printing more dollars because – we actually do create more value when you create new things that didn't exist before, mm -hmm. right? So our economy is expanding because we keep coming up with new ideas that weren't there before, right? I mean, like, you think about, we were just joking about iPads. I mean, that didn't exist before. The right. whole new marketplace showed up of, and you, you could argue that, well, they shouldn't exist. They're terrible. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm not making that case. I'm about saying new marketplace, that's new value that didn't exist before. So as the ideas come into reality new value gets created. So that does expand the economy, right? This, this is sort of this false notion that there's a, this, it's a closed system. There's only so much value in it. And therefore, we all have to compete for whatever value is in that closed system. No, the system can keep expanding. Okay. So when we talk about fiat currency, we go through the whole process. We know that they want to expand the amount of money slowly in order to help incentivize inflation in the system. But that's not really what's been going on lately, right? Yeah, it's true. Let's just skip over all the semantics of backstory and get to the really s real explanation of what's going on today. COVID locks down the world, okay? We can have debate to the end of time over whether or not those decisions were right, wrong, or otherwise, okay? I have my opinions, but it's not relevant it is reality. That's what happened. Governments around the world said, stop doing what you're doing, lock down, and we will manage and, you know, only in a limited capacity, some people will be allowed to produce at, a, at what we deem essential. And the rest of it, just step aside, right? Get out of the way, quarantine, and let's try to, you know, whether it was flatten the curve or, you know, stay safe, whatever we call it. Okay. I'm not making... Uh, right, point about, wrong or yeah, that's other. not it. But that's it's not a right. It's not a judgment call. It's just a factually. This is what we did, and that just here's the here's a I'm going to use a really complex economic term for you here. But I, you guys are smart. You're going to figure it out. That totally jacked up the economy. Ooh, <laughs> right? technicality. I mean, it just completely wrecked supply chains. If companies stop producing and then you look all the way through from the supplier on one side of the planet to the consumer on the other side and all the parts and stops in between, it's like having a train that slams on the brakes 
And then when it starts again, the first train moves. And then didn't we use this analogy on the air before? The first train moves. Maybe it was just you and me in a. In a I think so. The yeah. first train moves, and then the second train, like when it, when the slack runs out, it the car behind it kind of slams forward, and then it yanks the car behind. It's not like a smooth linear move, like all the cars go at the same time. Each car kind of bangs together when that little piece of slack in between mm-hmm. each car the push gets taken and the up, and it just it's very. You know, expands and contracts, and it's herky and jerky while it's getting underway. Once it's sort of up to speed and rolling, everything can start tugging together. But that initial reset is very herky jerky. And I feel like we never actually got fully up and rolling again. No, we're not. Like, uh, we no. have this herky jerky motion that we're describing, and then we slam that with inflation and a war. Well, so that's just more complexity, right? So the moving parts are first, we, we wreck the supply chain. Then yep. we try to spool it back up, but it's not equal in all places. Oh, and throw different sti- areas of the world at different paces, right? Throw the stimulus money in okay. there, too. That's well, another that's variable. phase two. Oh, we, am I jumping we, the we, gun on you here? No, no, okay. you're, you're, you're there. Phase two, though, was government said, huh, we told everybody they can't work. And we, we have a kind of like a moral problem here, too. Mm-hmm. When we make, if the government takes the position of it's our moral obligation to force everybody to stop working, then is it also the government's moral obligation to somehow maintain their livelihoods? And again, the, the, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, right? Like this is this is opinion talk about like whether it was right, wrong, or otherwise. But the government decided to do it and started throwing stimulus money at people. Like there were people that were making more money not working than when they were working. Okay, and then we threw money at businesses to keep them afloat, and then we threw advanced tax uh, credits at people like we have just flooded the market with liquidity meanwhile the federal reserve behind the scenes did the next phase of this right so the government says spend it all right like we just got to conjure up money and get it out there and everybody looks around and says okay do you want to go this we're printing a lot of money that's going to cause inflation right and and ask yourself this question do I want to loan somebody money at 2% for 30 years? No. Right? And if the answer is no, well, neither does do most people. So what, you buying a bond, you buy, like, the, everybody says, well, yeah, the government can finance their debt super cheap. So if somebody will buy it. Yeah. If you're not willing to loan the government money for 30 years at 2%, who is? And the answer is, it was, they didn't find a lot of people. There wasn't a that much demand in the marketplace. So instead, the Federal Reserve showed up. That's sort of exists above our banking system and said, rates. we'll print money and use that to buy them. Mm-hmm. And so now the government found its financier. And so it could print all the treasuries for everything and then monetize the debt that's printing of money to pay for it. Now, it didn't all get into the system immediately because we shut the system down. But the back pressure still flows, right? Imagine building a dam, filling up one side of it, but not having a spillway. If that, it's going to fill and fill and fill, and that's the inflationary pressure behind that dam. And right now, it's the dam is breaking, right? And so we've seen, and and Russia just exacerbated it. Oh yeah, right. The Russia invading Ukraine disrupted the supply chain even further for fuel. And then the sanctions that went into it. It's like Russia's not a tiny economy, 
right? And no. they, 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 do, they export a lot of fuel. So imagine right now if we use 100% of the fuel and Russia produces 10% of it. We take 10% out, there's a shortage now. We have 10% less than we need because Russia's not in the equation anymore. Mm -hmm. Prices start to go up. And then there's a toilet paper situation. Right? Remember when everybody freaks out about toilet paper yep. and you can't find it and the price goes nuclear? Yep. Right? That issue is very real. That the 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 panic of get to the pump before the price goes any higher creates a self-fulfilling prophecy of driving the price higher. Are you kind of surprised that the Fed didn't raise rates earlier than this? That it took them so long to get to this point? The so this is a really great question. Like why did it take the Fed mm -hmm. so long? Right. Right? The answer is right after this break. Oh. <laughs> I know. All right. So stick around, and we're going to get to that. When we come back, why did it seem like the Fed has waited as long as it has? That and more as we explore what is driving the inflation today. But we've okay. got to take a break. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to... News Radio 93.9 and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. We're having a great time. And if you're just getting caught up, grab the podcast, explore, look around at littlejohnfs.com. All kinds of goodies there. Uh, also, a lot of great tools. If you've got financial questions you're trying to get sorted out, uh, we do trade in the world of finance, and so a lot of tools there. If you do not have uh, currently an advisory relationship that can help, give us a shout. You're more than welcome. But uh, today, we're, we're, I'm really not, I don't think I'm pushing that so much. I'm, we're on a roll, Matt. We're talking inflation. We really are. Right? We're getting into the nitty gritty. We are. Um, and here's where I, I just want to give you a sense of what's really going on. So we looked this up at the break, and these are pretty swag numbers, okay? But for cowboy math, I think it's about right. So we've talked about what's what's driving inflation. We talked about COVID derailing the supply chains, and that's made a limited supply of some things. So cars are a good example, right? There's just not enough cars. There's more people that want cars than there are cars available, which means the people that want the car, they have to pay more to get it. It's kind of like locally where we are in the Douglas County area of Oregon. There's not enough housing inventory. And so prices of houses are really, really high. Now, today is not the show we're going to talk about why housing is so high. But we know that this, there's a massive supply and demand imbalance. And rates are still pretty low. So if people have to, they will borrow more money to pay up to get a home. Or if somebody is moving from out of area where they sell in a really high value market, they take that cash and they bring it here. They can, they essentially can pay more than our market can sustain based on the local job marketplace. Like the local economy can't pay somebody enough to buy that home, but somebody with external monies could move in and they can yep. afford the home. And with the limited supply, they will pay that. And so it's squeezing the, the marketplace for homes, right? Sure. So... There's another example of inflation, supply and demand, housing, vehicles, and so forth. But we said inflation is also triggered by, in this case, the supply of money in circulation. So how much money did we say has been printed, or did we? Uh, we, didn't, we didn't say. All right. Well, 
we talked about COVID jacking up mm-hmm. supply chains, and then we talked about the federal government going crazy on the spend. How crazy did they go between not counting this year so far, but 2020 and 2021? So mm. if we looked at the federal deficit, okay, and I'm going to loosely define the deficit as how much money do they spend compared to how much tax comes in? Okay. Okay. So if that's the basics, in 2021, the federal government spent $2.8 trillion more than they brought in. Wow, that's a big deficit. Okay. Nowhere even close to spending what they made. Right, and these are these are numbers that I'm pulling from the CBO, and they they were during the break, so somebody may fact check me at which point. Okay, like we, I'm willing to listen. I'm not I'm not saying like it is this, but I'm saying conceptually it's pretty close, and this is relevant. Okay, that same figure was higher in 2020 when everybody was shut down. We had right? to spend more. It was 3.1 we're trillion. We're not generating as much tax so, revenue. So that's a that's the deficit that year. So 3.1. Plus two point eight trillion. So you look at that and you go, that's just a shade under six trillion. Okay. okay. I'm following you. All right. But here's the other part of it. The Federal Reserve, by buying all of these assets, also expanded their balance sheet. Now that doesn't show up anywhere on the government's right. balance sheet, right? It's not the it's government's debt. Away. Yeah, it's not government debt. So so in theory, we're supposed to pay back the debt. Okay, but we monetized over five trillion dollars, so we added five trillion to the monetary system. So if you look at that, that's about eleven trillion between deficits and the Federal Reserve since 2020, not counting this year. Mm -hmm. If we look at the population of the United States as a round kind of average figure of 330 million, that's just over 33,000. $300 for every man, woman, and child in the country. And half of those people are out of the workforce. You know, they're either too old or too young to be counted in the workforce. Right. So that means that for the average person working, you put over 66, almost $67,000 of additional, call it either money watering down, right? So your purchasing power has been impacted by that level in terms of the inflationary pressure behind that dam. Right. And so okay. prices have to go up in order to Well, they certainly ought to. Right? Now, yeah. not everybody got that much, and some people may have gotten more, but that's the reality. In the last 2 years, over $30,000 per person has essentially been putting pressure on the financial system. You're darn right that's going to be inflationary. Right. Right? Now, just it's not all in everybody's pockets right that's the reason it doesn't just explode because if you don't have the money to go and spend immediately then the inflation doesn't happen all at once it takes a but, little bit longer but the pressure is still there because that money is sitting there filtering its way into the system right and it's exerting influence in all kinds of different ways right so this is where now i'm gonna i'm gonna jump aside and, and just caution people on this is where some of the economic ideas, you can get lost in the weeds. There are people that are, for example, advocating for something called a universal basic income. And we kind of saw a move by, you know, the federal government recently when they said, hey, let's give out quarterly stimulus checks to subsidize the cost of you having to pay for gas. That's the same thing. Right. And so if you consider for a moment that like, hey, let's just take... (laughs) Let's print more money right. to try to solve the money that printing money has created. 
it doesn't really work, right? What you need to do is get money back out of the system to slow inflation. That's going to happen with higher interest rates. Yeah. And and the Federal Reserve, we talked about going into the break, like why the Federal Reserve is sort of hamstrung. Why didn't they act sooner? Right? This is the answer to that question because they also were trying to manage unemployment. Right? And when you you had two couple of things. One, the the workforce has been shrinking. And then two, managing unemployment when you've put the economy into an induced coma. Mhm. Right, which is what we did because of COVID. So we're not sure how how many of those jobs are even coming back. I mean, the service sector to this day is still strained. Right, we just haven't seen it return to full strength in many areas of the country. Companies are still having trouble finding workers in certain categories. It's true. Right, and so we see that the effects of unemployment are still at play, and yet. The, the economy uh, continues to inflate, and the Federal Reserve is now trapped in what we call their dual mandate, manage inflation and keep unemployment uh, at or below 5%. And yet they just okay. keep coming back to the idea of let's print more money. Well, that's not the it, Federal Reserve No, right no, now. I'm saying the government. That's the government's well, attempt at So I think what we have is an appetite problem. And, mm -hmm. and I hate to say it so bluntly, and I know it won't be popular to say this, but uh, we can remember back in the, the mid-2000s, it was like between 2011 and 13, where we sort of watched this slow train wreck as uh, the several economies in the European Union, Greece being one of the most notable, struggled mightily with finance and had to go through some government austerity, right? You just needed to hold the line on government expenditure and not like hold it a little bit, like stop spending more. And for many, they're like, wait a second, we have crumbling infrastructure, we have all kinds of problems, we can't just do that. I go, we don't really get a choice unless you want to essentially commit to not ever seeing growth again. And like, at some point, the great grandkids are going to rebel when they say, well, for being born, you've shown up in such a deep hole that you get no choice anymore. That or you better hope that culturally we can change people's minds to the idea of wanting choice, which is also, in my personal opinion, pretty creepy like i love the concept that america brings people a lot of freedom to sort of chase their dreams and do a lot of things but if we spend so much and we grow government so much that we basically suck all of the air out of the room you're going to be left with less choice okay now i i realize i'm totally reflecting a value system in this diatribe right now but i don't think it's inaccurate no nope. right if your value system says i'm okay with less choice and more essentially government management and what we do because I can I can color within those lines and it doesn't bother me then I can see how like we may diverge in our opinions about the path to go down here but either way I don't see this as sustainable economically right so there's going to have to be some policy adaptation otherwise and and the pain is coming whether you like it or not like inflation federal reserve's hands are tied they will be raising interest rates it's coming I expect to see it tomorrow Yep. Right, first of the interest rate hikes tomorrow. So that will happen. It will have an impact on markets because when you change the cost of capital, which is what interest rates are, and the cost of risk, that has to get repriced in the markets. The question is just how aggressive will the Fed be? And how many times do they raise it this year? Exactly. So, and markets right now are handicapping somewhere between six and seven raises for the year. Yikes. Uh, so, it's going to get real, people. But speaking of real, we got to take a real break. 
Okay. So we're going to do that. We'll come back for the home stretch here uh, where we'll try to tie it all together and say, well, good. Now that we've established inflation, what do we do? So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEA. All right, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Well Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with... That guy you drug in off the street. I love it. Thanks, Matt, for joining us. You're welcome. <laughs> so uh, for our investors, today's been sort of the inflation show and what's driving it, but now more importantly, how to manage it, okay? And, and what should we expect, okay? Now, I don't know what the future holds, okay? But I do have a sense that as investors, it's our job to look not only at the near term, but at the long term. My suspicion is that most of our leadership has sort of shortened their time horizon to pretty short term, okay? Yep. Or impractical long term. And so like, like I hate to say this, but I, I'm suspicious of the environment, environmental movement, not because I don't believe in it. Like the, the data on climate change, I think there's some parts of it that are really, really interesting and important, but I think Shooting yourself in the face while to be an example to other people doesn't necessarily work out if, you know, if, the, <laughs> if the, you're the, not the, around the, to see it. The largest emerging the economies like Africa right now have all but said not interested in environmental regs. We need to just keep from starving. And mm -hmm. then you've got uh, com countries like China and India that are still massive polluters because they're still industrializing. And at this point, they, they've just sort of agreed to not follow yeah. on a lot of this stuff. So. We can we can go to like net zero and it doesn't move the needle significantly. And if you say, well, we should do something, I said, well, maybe so. But cutting off your left arm to prove a point only handicaps you. Yep. Right. So I think there needs to be some balance in the approach here. And I wish pragmatism could rule the day a little bit more. Right. That they're, they're so a little, so bit a little more longer term vision. Yeah. And, and that includes like our management of the economy, how we've managed pandemics at this point, a lot of things. It's like we need to weigh the total cost and not get caught weighing only one cost and assuming that's the only cost worth weighing, right? That's just clumsy. I mean, I've seen it, it in all aspects of life that tends to be a problem, by the way, right? Like I want to lose weight, so I'll just stop eating. It's like you can actually do that, but you can create all kinds of other medical problems along the way too. Yeah. It's like it might technically work, but the the sort of side the, the the other damages you're doing aren't ideal right so like managing this in a more holistic fashion can be a lot better i think investors should think that way too mm -hmm. right the way that you combat inflation is to own assets that are capable of maintaining or appreciating in an inflationary environment and it okay. can be done it can but you're also going to need to be patient that like right now Trying to call the markets day to day when the markets can't even figure out, like, we have no idea what's how Russia and Ukraine is going to play out, mm -hmm. right? We have no idea how a lot of things domestically are going to play out. We know in November there's going to be major election overhauls. We know that there's a lot of legislation still in the mix. We know that things are ever changing. Yeah. Trying to handicap moment to moment, in my opinion, is a fool's errand, right? Trading is darn hard but investing makes a lot more sense so well said 
consider your time horizon. Okay, inflation could potentially lift a lot of your wealth over time. How many people do you know that created significant wealth over the last multiple decades simply by owning a home that was their family home and then downsizing someday? Oh, yeah. Lots of people, right? There are ways to navigate this. It's going to involve being patient and kind of grading your way through. And it may mean substituting some things for a little while. Like, you know, you're, there's, there's less driving, more staycations and fewer vacations when everything's expensive. Yeah. It sucks. I get it. But it may be our reality for a little while. Right? And I'm not, I'm not here to point fingers. I'm just here to get real. You know, I mean, we're, we're dealing with real inflation. Decisions have consequences. Policies have consequences. Printing money has consequences. And they are here. So you're saying there's no free lunch. There's no free lunch, right? Okay. I mean, the money cannot be conjured. I think the experiment in modern monetary theory is playing out as it, it's, it's looking pretty shaky right now. <laughs> Right, it, it really is. You know, oh, we can just spend with reckless abandon, not so much. So, uh, as always, I think it helps to have a better plan if you don't have one already. Matt, how do they reach us? Give us a call five four one three seven five zero eight nine eight. All right, so there you go, gang. Uh, in the financial world, if if you know how to do this stuff please do it. If you don't, find somebody that you can trust and work with them. And so if you don't have those people, we're happy to help. And if we can't help, we can certainly get you pointed in the direction of where you can get the help, right? So that's the biggie. But anyway, we are, as far as I can tell, officially out of time. So with that, they're going to start the music, and then we're going to get rocking and rolling. But uh, last reminder, you can if you've got questions that we didn't answer today, give us a shout. Our number is 541-375-0898, or drop us an email at littlejohnfs.com. But we're out of time. So until next time, thanks for tuning in. This has been David Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.